I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact, in association with The Telegraph and NatWest. I'm Brian Moore, and joining the show today are the former Wales back row Martin Williams, former Scotland fly half Craig Chalmers and former Ireland prop Reggie Corrigan. Plus, we've got the World Cup winner, Maggie Alfonsi, who will take us through the women's Six Nations. Stick around to the end of the pod to find out about next week's special episode, and please do rate and review us on iTunes in the meantime. But first, I'm joined here in the studio by the former England fly half, Rob Andrew. Rob, how are you? Hi, Brian. Good, thank you. Before we get into your analysis, Rob, let's hear what Will Carling had to say after the game last Saturday. It's a win, and, and it sounds really banal, but actually... No, we didn't play anywhere near as well as we could. I thought the Welsh fought really well to the end. Sometimes you're way below par. If you can get the win, my view is being incredibly biased. I think that's perfect for England, perfect for Eddie to sit down with, with themselves and say, Jesus, we were way off that, guys. We really need to kick on. You know, Eddie talks about 20%. I would think they would probably think we would like to be doing 30 or 40%. Because, hey, it was one of those games where, for whatever reason, they just they had a lot of pressure... They just made silly mistakes. Their discipline was poor. Um, they gave away too many penalties. But but they won the game. And ultimately, we've all played in lots of games like that. And it's just like, go away, learn, improve, and they will. Thank you. Thoughts on what Will had to say? Well, it's probably... It's not that I'd like to agree with Will on anything, <laughs> anything that Will says. A um, bit like you when we were in the same team. You never agreed with anything he said. Um, no, look, he, he's probably right. It was one of those strange games where in the first 20 minutes you thought that England um, would would maybe move away with the game. Mm. Two early tries, if they'd scored another, either before half-time or, or early in the second half, you know, maybe the game would have got away with from, from Wales. But again, it was one of those games frustrating from an England point of view, difficult conditions, um, and they didn't put Wales away. And, and we've all seen what happens when you do that. And credit to Wales that... The longer the game wore on, the more they sort of grew in confidence. And then it became quite a tricky last 15 minutes, really, when the game was still in the balance pretty much up until the end, which is not where you would have expected it 20 minutes in. Well, we're going to concentrate on England in the opening because we've got guests from each of the Celtic nations to discuss their particular performances. Lots of uh, talking points. Actually, I thought... You know, England should have 
they should have buried that game in the first half, really. One more score, well, certainly one more try would probably have been enough. Um, if you have a penalty count against you, though, of 10 to 2, you're going to struggle in games because the momentum killers. And this is not a new problem for England. I don't, well, I don't know exactly how you deal with this in camp, but they've got to address it because you cannot keep giving away so many penalties against good sides. No, well, this is sort of Groundhog Day, isn't it? You know, we talked about it last week. Um, you talked about it in the first show. Um, it's, it's been there for quite a while with this England team now. And, you know, there's, there are times when you want to give penalties away. There are times mm. when a really good side tactically does give penalties away. But there are too many penalties here that, that either reduce the momentum or, or re- relieve the pressure from the opposition. And a 10-2 is... is is just far too great to be honest. So that's a really big issue over the next twelve months. It, it, you know, it should be, it should be capable of being uh, stopped. But we all, so all, we also know that some players are just serial offenders, mm. um, and they go through their whole careers. Um, but it, it'll come home, to, it'll come home to bite them. And and that game wasn't put away, and it should have been. And if that's a World Cup game when it's a knockout game, and you leave somebody in the game as we saw in 2015 and we've seen before, that that will catch you at some point. Well, Eddie Jones was obviously concerned enough to leave his usual seat in the stand, came down about 20 minutes before the end, which is unusual. It was a bit spiky last week, what do you think? Or Actually, it's, it is strange because people are saying, oh, he's not a nice person. Because he's Australian for a start off <laughs> and he's a hooker. What do you expect him to be? And it's interesting, you know, other people can lob verbal hand grenades out all over the place without the allegations, which there were in the press, um, about bringing the game into disrepute. I mean, just you know, just nonsense to me. I'm... Look, I think England-Wales games bring out a lot in all sorts of people. And, you know, Eddie and Warren are two of the, the sort of best probably in the world at, at, at chucking stuff out there. North hookers. Both, I mean, look, you're all the same, you lot. Um, you know, mad as a box of frogs half the time. Um, but but they're incredibly competitive. They're world class coaches. You know that this is a really powerful run that England are on. And you know, England will, did not want to lose to Wales at Twickenham with a Wales team with a lot of players missing. So look, I think th- there was a lot of pressure all round, and, and that pressure gets to people. It it sort of rarely. Rarely gets to Eddie, I think. I think Eddie's normally pretty good, but every now and again, you know, the lid does come off with him as well. And when things are either going wrong with the team or the discipline or the tactics or the maybe the referee, they're very, very highly pressurised situations there. And that's not a, you know, it's not a bad thing. We saw, was it last autumn um, against, I can't remember which team it was now, when he when his pen went down and, and, and he went absolutely nuts in the box. These guys are passionate about about winning, and it, you know I think that's I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Uh, we'll discuss again with uh, Martin Williams, but the TMO decision, Gareth Anscombe denied a try. Um, I must say, when I saw it at the time uh, and the replays at the time, I thought it was a try. Having seen on social media, and this is great about social media, someone always finds something. A slow motion clip does convincingly show that Steph Evans, he caught his 
the fourth finger of his left hand. He just touched it. Um, I'm still not sure it went forward, but then again, I'm not sure where else it could go. But if you look at that decision on its own and then the one subsequently, the TMO either got, well, he got one of them wrong. But that's the way, you know, and I've, I've, well, well, for start, some people can't count because the social media are saying, if we'd have got that, that, that would have changed the game. I said, wait a minute, you've got three points anyway. Mm. So the most you would have got is another four, which means that you, you wouldn't have won. And it, the conversion would have been in the corner, difficult one, so you might have only got two. And by, but by the this wasn't the point Wales lost. Wales lost because they lost the kicking game, the Reese Patchell. And I felt, I felt a bit sorry for Reese Patchell. Um, and whatever you say, whether he should or shouldn't have singled someone out, under it's not a question of bottling in a, t- a sense of being brave. Everyone's brave that plays international rugby physically and so on. But he doesn't have the experience of Ford or Farrell. And I think it showed on the on the on, in the game. <clears throat> of course, he was substituted, and they played better thereafter. One of the things which is unusual to me was England's bench usually make a big difference and more than their opposition, but it didn't turn out that way this time. No, I mean, there's a whole load of things in there. Look, the T- the TMO, the problem now we've got with the TMO, uh, you know, it, if they get it slightly wrong, it's an even bigger debate than without yeah. having the TMO. In the old days, the referee would have either given that try or not given it on instinct, and actually it would have it would have just happened and, and it would have been all over. Now, it, I mean, it's a bit like the football are having these issues. There are so many things that, that people are looking at that... You know, it did, it was a rush decision. Whether you could have seen the, the the Steph Evans hand, which clearly there was a hand in it, mm-hmm. did that go forward or backwards? Now everybody on social media is debating that actually that went backwards. I'm not sure it could have gone backwards, to be honest, but that's that's another debate. Then you've got the try or no try, even if there wasn't a knock-on. It probably was. I mean, his hand was on the ball before, um, before Watson's hand. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day... it. We can talk about that forever. The, the, the scoreline, you know, is 12-6. You know, we'd have won the World Cup in 91 if David <laughs> Campisi hadn't deliberately knocked it on. Yeah. But but he did, you know. So that these things... And it was 12-6. And it was 12-6, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough. What about the Underhill tackle? Well, just... I mean, the, some of the stuff that some of the players do now in terms yeah. of their, their physicality, their ability to get off the floor and go and do something... Either you know going forward or going backwards, they just never ever give up. I mean that. Where did he come from? You know, well, he got off the floor earlier earlier on. Yeah, you know, he, and he he got up, and what must at the time he set off, I think, seemed to him to be a bit of a losing cause. But they don't give up, do they? They, you know, we see this time and time again. Amazing tackles that that players have got no right to get to, but they somehow get there. And those, again, are the margins, you know, margin about the TMO, margin about that situation, Reese Patchell's missed penalty first up. You know, all of these things add up. But on the whole, we've been around long enough to know that, that on the whole, over 80 minutes, the team that, that, that normally deserves to win over the balance of 80 minutes with possession or territory or chances or conversion rates. England scored two fantastic tries. Let's not forget that. Two Outstanding tries. And what an incredible uh, offload by Launchbury. I mean, well, tremendous uh, dexterity. Yeah. I mean, if that had somebody, I saw somebody comment, you know, if that had been Kieran Reid in an mm. all black shirt, we'd still be talking about it now as, mm. you know, out, an outstanding piece of forward play. And 
Launchbury has been outstanding. Um, the first the first try, you know, not just Owen Farrell's kick, but Danny Kerr's box kick, and, and I think everybody's been critical of Danny's box kicking. It hasn't been as good as Ben Young's, but actually his box kicking was outstanding uh, in a, on a day when yeah. kicking was important. We got the ball back from the box kick, and, and Owen saw that space and, and, and put it away. So... Tight games, you, you know, again, how many times in, in these things do we talk about people taking their chances? You don't get many chances. And, and I mean, whatever people are saying about the try or no try, the fact is that happened in the first half and Wales in the second half had two, possibly three clear-cut try-scoring chances and another two clean line breaks didn't record points. Yeah, and so that's again. It goes back. That's, to... I'm sorry, but that's not an official's fault. No, that's 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 why the score finished twelve six. And actually, you know, you can argue. Look, I think you've got to give Wales credit as well for for the way that they they stuck at it. They have got a fair few players missing. Mm. Um, you know, so England will be, I think, frustrated. But that's not a bad thing. Two games in, when you've still won, and you've got to build momentum so they'll be a bit angry going up to Scotland which is no bad thing because you don't want to be complacent going up there um, they've got France away as well and you've got to be on your game in Paris because the French in Paris you know you, you've always got to be on your game so it, from that point of view I, I don't think it's actually a bad thing it's going to keep the England team with their feet on the ground Well we've given uh, an English perspective let's now get a Welsh one because we can speak to the former Wales uh, back rower who commentated on the match for BBC Radio Wales. It's Martin Williams. Hello, Martin. Yeah, good evening, Brian. Hello, mate. Um, look, we've, we've got to start with this, haven't we, I suppose, because it was a big talking point to the game. But uh, your view of the TMO decision, Anscombe, try, no try and, and whatever. Look, I, I think it was uh, it was a try. I, I agree with you, by the way. Anyway, Karen. I, I think it was a try. Um, and... Look, we'll never know if that would have impacted the game. I think what people are, are sort of forgetting here that Wales took three points anyway. It was just, they were just playing advantage from a penalty, so they would have been, you know, maybe it was a difficult conversion, maybe two, four points at best, better off. Which still, you know, I've heard the argument on, you know, in Wales that well, if we scored that try, we would have won thirteen twelve, but it wasn't that case because you got to take the three points off um, for the penalty we've taken. So. Look, we we all know you know momentum may have changed, but look, I, I think um, I think there were times in that game Wales. It seemed to me that Wales were really hanging on, and uh, they came back into a superbly second half. But I think that ultimately the best team won, and um, it's, it, it is that sort of because it was a TMO decision that I think the majority of people thought he got wrong and was so high profile. I think it deflects away from you know deficiencies in some of of Wales's play. Should Wales be disappointed uh, by the fact that in the second half, when they were in this sentence, they created certainly two, arguably three, try-scoring chances and uh, at other clean line breaks, came away with nothing? Yeah, I think so. And I think they turned on a couple of kickable penalties as well mm. uh, in the first half where, you know, you, you where he was with Lee Halfpenny not playing, um, that could come back to haunt them. And I think it, it might have, you know, we just chip away at that scoreboard. And if you look at Wales's last three wins up in Twickenham in 2008, 2012, 2015, they were, they were very similar to Saturday where they, they, they were getting outplayed, but just hang on in there, hang on in there and just sneak it at the end. And towards the end, 
there's a game I I felt that could happen, and particularly when Scott Williams, you know, went for the try line, I immediately jumped up and thought try straight away. But it was a superb effort from Underhill. But you're right, Brian. I think you know the Aaron Shingler break. If he mm-hmm. had that moment back again, he should just you know pass the ball to Garth Davis and then try and get a second touch and support. But yeah, it's, um, that's what you get when you play in you know England at this moment in time. They're the second best team in the world and if you don't take those one or two chances that you get, um you're gonna you know you're not gonna win away from home, particularly in Twickenham. So I think I think they'll be frustrated. I think they really do after, you know, not taking a couple of chances in the second half. Hi Martin, it's Rob here. Um Hi Rob. How are you? I was um I, I saw it all coming back in the last twenty minutes again. I've sat the Twickenham through 2008, 12 and 15 and it just had that feel of it where perhaps perhaps with one or two more key Wales players around and I think one or two, obviously all the injuries, you know, if a Dan Bigger or, or a Lee Halfpenny had been there or a Sam, you know, if going into that last 20, it felt to me like Wales were going to nick it again. I honestly felt that because yeah. of just the way... Having not put them away, and I think that's the bit that England will be looking at really hard. Just before half time, I thought England were going to put them away and actually win by a couple of scores. But if you don't do that, the one thing about I think most of Warren's teams, they just they never give in. You you hit the nail on the head there for me, Rob. Warren Gatland's teams. It's just been a trade of Warren Gatland, not only against England, but. You know, many in the Six Nations, he's been successful. Where it's, you know, Wales seem to be out, out for the count, and have got no chance. But they just hang on in there, and invariably, it's been down to the defence and the goal kick and the Lee half penny, which has just kept them in touch. And then, you know, they finish um, last five minutes very, the last five minutes very strongly. And um, it did certainly felt like that. I agree with Rob. I thought twelve nil after twenty minutes. I was really thinking they stayed on the bar- the barrel of maybe a twenty thirty point loss, but they hang on in there. Um, and and you're right. I think Lee Harpenny was you know for all his criticism that people you know throw at him that he's not a Stuart Hogg, he's not an Israel Falau. Um, the weather and the conditions on Saturday would have been mm-hmm. ideal for Lee. You know, just mm-hmm. to be that goal kicker, that safety net at 15. And I think he was the player we probably missed more than Wales missed more than anybody. You know, Dan Bigger as well at 10. But I thought Anscombe was outstanding in that second half when the game did break up. So it's just, yeah, I think if if it was a if it was a sunny day where conditions were perfect, then maybe Patchell and Anscombe. You know, an ideal players, but in those greasy, tight conditions, you're right. I think the two players that Wales really could have done without there in our last 15, 20 minutes would have been the half penny and bigger to bring our solidity there. What about um, Anscombe and Patchell? And because I thought Anscombe, a was very good at fullback, and then he was even better probably when he went to ten. He looked, you know, he looked a real threat all the whole time. Yeah, all of a sudden in Wales now. They, they, you know, I think it's been very easy for the past two or three years to to name the Wales starting fifteen. You know, it's been bigger, uh, Jamie Roberts, Jonathan Davis, you know, Liam Williams, George North, and Lee Halfpenny. That's that's your background. It's been so easy. But now all of a sudden the players who've come in have really held their hands up and what they do going over to Dublin now, particularly in that pivot position of ten, would be really interesting. I I, I think they should give Patchell another run. I think he, he earned he's outstanding against Scotland. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on him on Saturday from externally building up in the week, and 
he had to take on the kicking responsibilities as well. But I, I just think as good as Anscombe was in that last half hour, you know as well as I do, Rob, that sometimes when the game breaks up, it's a lot easier in the last 30 than it is the first 30. Yeah. So I think Reese maybe Reese Patchell deserves another shot at 10. Um, and I'd, I'd bring the half penny back to 15, particularly with Ireland's kicking game. And then uh, Anscombe, you know, on the bench to make an impact off the bench. But it's, you know, with all these injuries, the the plus side is we've we've built up some real strength and depth. Martin, I, comment on this. It's only a theory, but because Scotland played the way they did the week before, and they really didn't put anything like the sort of pressure that a normal international defence does and should put on the team. You know, when you come to Twickenham and you've played with you know with a lot of freedom, and then all of a sudden you're being hit behind the gain line. It's quite difficult to reverse that during, you know, during play, um, and it was. It seemed to me Wales got caught a bit early on when they had time to sit down at half time, talk about it, discuss how they were going to, you know, play around it. Then they did a lot better. Do you think? Do you think the the Scotland game did them any favours or? Oh, look, it was you know a real positive performance, but I, I understand exactly where you're coming from, all because. It was similar what Scotland probably got caught up in all the hype from how they played in the autumn and exactly. came to came to Cardiff and thought they could play exactly the same way. Whereas, you know, Six Nations is a totally different ball game. It's a totally different style of rugby. The pressure's ramped up a few notches to the autumn. So yeah, I, I think they did struggle. You know, they had a game plan to go wide. Wales, you could definitely see that in that first half. But I thought, you know, whereas we didn't see much of Joseph with ball in hand, he, he did exactly what Eddie Jones said he was going to do, and he got up. Very, very quickly in the eye line, Apacho. I think the pressure you could see, I think Ford was flying up the line as well. So, yeah, it, t- it took time to adjust. And, you know, as Rob just said there, I think within the experience maybe of Pacho, it took him a while to work that out. Whereas maybe with Bigger there, it was more kicking 10. That could have been nullified a, a, a more. So, yeah, I think it's a, you know, it's a work in progress. Wales have had this sort of style of play for so many years they're trying to evolve to, but it's. You, know, you can't get caught up in all the hype and particularly away from home as well. I think you need to be a bit shrewder and a bit smarter with your kicking game. How are they going to do in Dublin? Uh, it's a difficult one. I, I, I think it's so difficult. Um, from you know, England have found it, haven't they? In all due respect to Italy, it's difficult to judge yourself on that game, how they played. Obviously, they'll be full of confidence for 50 points and they're an unbelievably well-coached team. Henshaw's a big loss for them. Um, Wales will have a few, few players back and but I, I really think I'd have to say if you can ask me where you know who I'd put my money on the island, I think they are big favourites to start the game. But you know, Wales have shown if they can um, if they can hang on in there and they're still in there with a shout with five ten minutes to go, there'll be some nervous Irishmen. But I I, I think Ireland are our favourites for that game definitely. Martin, thank you very much, mate. Good to speak to you again. Thank you. Thanks. Mate. Interesting discussion about well well Wales options. Martin's right. It's been a fairly predictable backline. The thing with, with Patchell, and people talk about crediting the bank and all this sort of stuff, if you don't pick him, that's a big confidence blow, isn't it? Yeah, and I think Martin's probably right. There is chat maybe of bigger coming back or, or being available soon, but I think the wider picture for Wales is that actually all of these injuries is actually helping them a year out from, you know, the world, well, just over a year out from the World Cup, 18 months. Um, because there's a lot of big names missing. Mm. And yet they, you know, they went 
toe to toe with England for for lots of the game, and then they're still obviously work in progress. It'll be fascinating if they do go to Dublin with the same number of injuries and see how just see how they really do get on. Because if they can go with with Ireland in Dublin just as they have with England in in uh, Twickenham, and the strength in depth that they're building, and also the other thing which is happening with Wales under Warren at the moment is change of style, mm. which had to come. It's been probably overdue. And maybe he hasn't felt he's had the players to come in to be able to evolve. Well, we saw to in the that. second half they do seem suited to it when they, you know, get the space. And it, it's quite simple, isn't it? You can't play that sort of rugby on the back foot, which they were in the first half. When they got go forward ball, then space opens up and you can see what their players can do. But also, that's you know they've they've got naturally talented footballers, uh, absolutely. They? So you know, one of the sort of I suspect slight frustrations with with Wales under a lot of Warren's tenure has been almost holding back some of the natural footballing ability that Welsh players tend to have. If they can get that balance, and again it comes back to the balance point that you know we probably talk about with Scotland who didn't have any balance down in Cardiff. Wales got it slightly wrong at the start of this game but then they sort of got that balance right. And if, if Wales can hold their own up front, which they seem to be doing, and that's without some pretty serious players, certainly in the back row, and then you've got all of these footballing abilities and you make good decisions around, are you on the front foot? Let's play. No, we're not on the front foot. Let's let's make a different decision around kicking. You know, kicking's still important in rugby, despite we've, we forget that. So I think this is actually pretty dangerous from, a, from everybody else's point of view, the way that the Welsh strength in depth and the way that they're playing. Because if they're given a bit of freedom... They generally, then they will. They'll convert those chances that they didn't convert in the second mm. half. As they get more used to playing like this, mm. they'll convert those those chances in the future. Okay, time to discuss. Well, it was an exciting game. Scotland coming out on top, thirty-two twenty-six against the French. Pleased to say, you can speak to our friend Craig Chalmers, the former Scotland fly half. Hello, Craig. How you doing, mate? You all right? right, mate. Uh, Finn Russell, obviously a superbly talented player. Would he be better if he didn't try to win the game on every single play? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think his, uh, his, his big problem is he's, he's, he's a library. He's, he plays an expansive game. He's, plays, he's pretty, pretty loose, actually. He's pretty loose, you could say. Um he just needs to try and make better decisions at key times in the game, not rush things, kicks to touch. He's rushing kicks to touch at times where he should be just, you know, taking a deep breath and just maybe taking a couple of yards off some of these kicks to touch that he's uh, going too long on and missing. But he's throwing a lot of passes to the deck. It's, I don't know. He's just not played quite so well since he's signed for harassing. Uh, um, you know, something happens. You know, he's, he's, he's outstanding in the option for us. You know, dictating things, uh, making breaks, making great passes. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's had an off, he's had, he's had an off, an off spell, but I'm sure he'll come back into it and hopefully play well against England. There were some outstanding individual performances, but who in the Scotland team w- were your picks? For me, in the forwards, I, I thought Grant Gilchrist was outstanding, and um, all carry and work rate. He's got good skills as well. He was he was a big part of the. The first try to to Maitland up the left hand side, um, and then Hugh Jones, I think, back at thirteen, mm-hmm. back his normal position. Although he played at twelve for for Western Province, 
Um, I do believe that Curtin's uh, uh, where he's most dangerous, and we saw that. In, we saw that on Sunday. Um, Peter Vaughan played well, and Greg Laidlaw. You know, people knock him for being slowing things down, but he's got a great rugby brain in him, uh, a great boot in him, and uh, I think you know he was a massive part of us winning that game in, in the last twenty minutes and on, on Sunday. Hi, Craig. It's Rob here. How are you doing, mate? Hi, good, good. Look, I thought the other thing about Scotland, um, I mean, they made quite a few changes, but they brought a better balance to the team with, with Horn at 12, Jones at 13, as you've just said. And they just they, they just had, they didn't try and play. They looked to me like they went down to Cardiff and just tried to play side to side, um, sort of almost coming off the back of the Australia game from the autumn without really putting the foundations back in place. Um, whereas yeah, on, on they, yeah, you know, they, it, yeah. it, it wasn't a reflection of them in Cardiff, uh, and it'll be interesting to see now just where they are. When, when I'm sure you'll all be fired up for England <laughs> in a couple of weeks. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think no, they get a bit, a bit go forward. I think a bit more direct. You know, set some targets for 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 a back row and, and even for our centres to clear clear some rocks. And we made the, we made the French tackle, and if you make mm-hmm. the French walk and tackle in defence. Yeah, you know, they're liking everybody else to get tired, and I thought the Scottish fitness was was much better in the last twenty. And um, they're a team that are evolving once again, the French. But um, I think we just got tactics wrong and some one or two selections wrong down in down in uh, Cardiff. There were some surprise guys. I mean, you know, Harris in the centre for me, McGuigan for me would wouldn't have started two backs. Uh, they were both out, one by in, one from injury. But I think it was, I don't think he would have started anyway. McGuigan, if he'd been fit. So I think selection was a bit wrong down in Cardiff. It's good to see David Denton, big ball carrier, back involved. And we'll need some big guys like that in the in our park and and you know doing a lot of damage in the, in, in two weeks' time. If we're going to, if we're going to have a chance of beating England, we're going to have to be at the very top of our game. England are England are winning games, and I don't think they're playing brilliant rugby. Um, but they know how to win, and uh, winning's a habit, um, <laughs> and so is losing, and, and losing these tight games. So I think we've got to try to, you know, we've got to hang in there. And I think if we can hang in there in, in a couple of weeks' time, then we have got a great chance. But you know, I think the far more direction last week for us, um, you know, better game plan, and I think the players made fewer errors. Um, I think they only gave away like two penalties in the whole game. I think um, two or three penalties in the whole game. Well, you brought up. Uh... Selection, what do you think um, Gregor's going to do uh, in terms of starting uh, 15? <laughs> well, everyone, what should he do? And, you know, scrum half as well? <laughs> I, think, I, I, think they'll, I think they'll stick with the same back line as they, as they started with last week. One or two guys might be coming back from injury, like Alec Dunbar. We could have him back in, in contention. Um, but I think you know, people say he's going to drop Finn Russell. That'd be crazy. He's a match winner, but he's just got to... He's just got to you know, be, make better decisions, and, and and you know his basic skills have got to be better. His simple basic skills have got to be better. So, um, no, I, I think uh, the forwards. I'd like to see Dave Denton start in the back row, uh, number eight, maybe, maybe, maybe at six. Um, apart from that, maybe Jimmy Batty into the front row as well, um, instead of uh, Gordon Reid. Um, he's a bit of a liability in defence for me. So, yeah, listen, there's one or two changes to be made, but um, we don't have too many options we've got so many injuries in the front row but we actually held up in the front row really well we've got two scrum penalties against the French which I, I wasn't expecting so yeah I mean yeah I was just glad to get a win because if we'd gone into the England game without a, a win under our belts it would have been it would have been really really bad 
Yeah, I, I thought they were just much, much more, much smarter tactically as well, particularly mm-hmm. towards the end of the game when moving, uh, moving Greg Laidlaw out to fly half, which probably not many people saw coming, and that just added. He's played there before. He's played there before. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's sort of it's not. It was a big, well, not a big call. It was the right call, wasn't it? Because towards the end of the game, Scotland actually completely dominated and shut the French out completely. Um, and I just thought they played, they just played smarter rugby all the way through the game, much smarter than they had been in Cardiff. No, they did. And they, Greg Laylaw's got a fantastic rugby brain in him. Um, and, you know, I just dictated things, he bossed things. And, you know, I think that, you know, that was that was key for us. And I think Finn's got, Finn Russell can learn a lot, a lot off him. I mean, you know, he'll be learning off Gregor and, you know, one of the two experienced players, but he, he's just got to just know he wind his neck in a little bit and then, you know, he's, he, you know, less of the fancy stuff and concentrate on getting the basics right and get players playing off him. Then he can get back in the game and get a second touch and, you know, and, and, and start creating, you know, creating tries and putting people in for tries. So, you know, I, I'm full of confidence that Finn Russell will, will, will come good in this championship. Um, he's shown what he can do already. Um, but he's a, he's a key player for us, and, and I think uh, so is Laidlaw. Ali Price can speed the game up, and if Finn wasn't playing quite so well, there are options at certain fit. Uh, obviously, Greg Laidlaw's shown what he can do last week, but um, Peter Horn can also step in there. He's played a lot of rugby at ten over the last couple of years with Glasgow. So, no, it's uh, you know, listen, we had a platform last week. We got some ball. Our lineup was better, um, and you know, as us backs know, as us fly halves know. We need a platform to play off, and if we have a platform, then we can we can dictate matters, and you know, hopefully, we'll get a, a decent platform against England in a couple of weeks. That's great, Craig. Uh, I'll see you in a fortnight's time. Yeah, good man, top man, all the best. Cheers, 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 Rob. cheers, cheers Craig. Bye, bye. Let's have a couple of quick thoughts on France and Italy. France, I tell you what, you can't go through international games giving away. The number of, I mean, if you think England are bad and they haven't been good, France have been, they're disciplined. And I'm not talking about punching people. I'm just talking about dull things coming from the side, lifting players' legs in malls, you know, things that international professional players should know not to do. You, you're not going to win many games against decent sides when you have a penalty like they have. Well, I, can, <laughs> I mean, it, it must be exasperating for the French rugby public really to that they have gone they're in such a hole and and have been heading into that hole for a number of years now and this how, what the answer is I mean goodness knows but it almost looks like the players are just not equipped to play top level international rugby and I'm, I'm not even sure that was particularly top level on on the weekend you know in, in many senses but they're probably not fit enough now aerobically to mm. to stay in the game um, at this level, um, and so therefore, they, when you get stressed, that's when you make physically stressed. You make poor decisions. Tactically, they're all over the place. You know, bring Boxis back, who hadn't played for six years. Uh, where's that coming from? Of the, one of the problems: the top fourteen is very physical. You have to be fit in a physical sense. You've got to be able to take and absorb very large men running at you all the time. But that's not the same as being moved around tactically like Scotland did. And when the ball opens up, you know, being made from run side to side and so on. So, you know, I think that their club rugby isn't helping them in terms of, of, of fitness because they don't need to have quite the same aerobic, anaerobic sort of uh, balance. Um, and the, finally, do you think there's anything in this? 
France have always felt, sometimes with justification, that they get the rough end of the stick when it comes to 50-50 penalty decisions. Oh, I don't think, I mean, crikey, everybody could argue about that week to week. It's such a difficult thing, the, the refereeing. The French, the French generally give stupid penalties away, which <laughs> yeah. is what you just <laughs> said, as England gives stupid penalties away. And most, most stupid penalties get picked up. Mm. I just think they're in, a, they're in a mess all over the place in terms of their coaching structure, their selection, their, their, the way they want to play. Um, they don't know how they want to play. The selection has always been all over the place. And, it, it, you know, they just can't get out of this rut. And, and they've changed coach halfway between World Cups, which they've never, ever done before. Yeah. You know, and, OK, Jacques Brunel, he's got not much time to get to get them ready. You know, they've got some decent individual players, but as we all know, they've got to put it together. And you've got to be... You've got to be fit enough to play modern, yeah. top-level international rugby. And it is different to the top 14. Well, I don't want to be dismissive about Italy, but we've got a limited amount of time. They have uh, unearthed uh, two or three very useful younger players, but the, the problem for them is whilst they're trying to blood them, the, you know, possibly half the team are probably not good enough you know, at this level. Yeah, look, and, and also that they've started... Started the campaign against probably the two best sides in the well, in the tournament. Right. So you know, so they couldn't have had a much tougher start. So maybe maybe let's see by the end of the tournament how much they've progressed and and whether they can can they have a pop at France next time round oh, in, sure in Marseille. You know, and and have they got? I think they've got Scotland at home towards the end of the tournament. So you know, let's maybe judge them a bit further down the line. It's been two pretty tough games. Yeah. Right, time to turn to many people's. Pre-tournament favourites, oh, that's Ireland. Very pleased to say we can speak to the former Irish prop, Reggie Corrigan. Hello, Reggie. Hi, Brian. How are you? Hello, mate. I said uh, after the, uh, well, it was a squeaky win uh, against the French, possibly could have lost it. Brilliant uh, last passage of play and uh, moment of magic from Johnny Sexton. Ideal game, Italy at home, to put those things right. How far do you think they went in doing that? Yeah, I suppose it wasn't. Uh, it, it was a decent enough performance, is how I describe it. Uh, while not um, not perfect, actually a long way from perfect, really. Um, you know, I, I, I heard you talking there briefly about Italy and uh, saying that you know we can't really judge them, but you know I think we do have to judge them. Unfortunately, I yeah. think Italy are the whipping boys of this tournament, and I think it's it's uh, it's somewhat. Um, you know, worrying that the tournament, uh, you know, it could come down to who is going to beat the Italians by the most points. And, and that's a real worry. And in terms of Ireland, I still don't know, you know, just how good this team is. Because, you know, against France, um, yes, there was a moment of brilliance in the end, but it should never have come to that. Ireland should have been out of sight in that game. There was a poor French side. Uh, they are poor in general. They're ranked 10th in the world. And we should be beating them by more than that. And And, and it was a bit of a miracle that we got out of there with a win in the end. Um, and when you back that up then against a very, very mediocre Italian side, it's hard to know exactly where Ireland are. I mean, I, I, I don't want to sound pessimistic. I think that it is a wonderful squad. I think they've got a great group of players and a huge chance of going and winning this championship this year. But I haven't seen uh, enough yet to tell me that they are championship winners. How much are they going to miss Henshaw? Because he's out now for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, it's a huge blow. There's no question at all. Uh, 
that is the case. I heard Joe Schmidt commenting today that he may have to bring Gary Ringrose back a little bit earlier than he had planned. Um, but Ringrose is well and he appears to be uh, able to train. So, you know, it may be a case of uh, Ringrose having to come back in there, but Henshaw is a huge uh, loss. I mean, he, he has flourished in that position. He's, he's really grown into it. And um, as the championship progresses, you know, it, it will be, you know, it'll be a difficult area, that whole centre partnership with, with Bundiaki. Uh, Farrell is another one that could come in there as well. But to be honest with you, you know, you're going to get injuries and uh, we could probably afford it more in that position than in others. For example, Tyke Furlong at Tighthead and indeed Johnny Sexton at 10. We can't afford either of those to have long-term injuries. So it is a blow, there's no question about it, but I think there can be replacements found for Reggie, hi, it's Rob here. Um, hi, Rob. Just um, for, what is it? Do you think that can you put your finger on it? That why Ireland just don't you can't quite tell where they're at at the moment. Is there is there something? Is it yeah, selection? Is, is it um, what is it? I I don't think it's selection. I'm I'm happy with the selection, but it's just the style of play. I mean, you know, you, you question. Against France, for example, it's hard to say it against Italy because there wasn't much of a defence up against them. So, you know, moves and training ground moves and ways of getting uh, penetrating the defensive line were, were easily done against Italy. And the game was over as a contest after 20 minutes. But against France, that wasn't the case. We didn't see those lines. And I know it was the first game up at the championship and it's away in Paris and the weather wasn't great and all those bits and pieces. But you'd like to think um, that there might be more, uh, you know... Let's say the likes of Sean O'Brien when he carries the ball, he creates um, a bit of chaos around him, which which you know allows players to get on to to link and 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 get those continuity passes going and and get in behind defensive lines. I don't think we have had that ball carrying uh, back row. Sander does it to a degree, but defences have worked him out quite a lot. Um, and I thought uh, that Levy might might offer more of that. Uh, when he got his inclusion in the back row, because that's kind of what he does well. But also in the back line itself, um, we seem to be relying a lot on just positional play, kicking, um, rather than carving open defences in that centre area. And I know it's a difficult thing to do, but uh, you know it's something that we're going to have to do. Certainly, if it comes down to uh, a championship decided against England, which we're all hoping for in uh, St. Patrick's weekend, um, they'll need to have a, a little bit more notes and a few more uh, tricks up their sleeves to try and break down that English defence because they're not going to do it just by bashing the ball up, up the middle as they have been doing of late. Well, Reggie, the, interesting you should bring that up because you can read stats anywhere you like, but one of the things that came out of the uh, French game was that France made a record number of tackles for mm. the Six Nations tournament. So mm. you can say Ireland obviously posed them... Um, you know, a lot of uh, questions in defence in terms of the number of tackles they had to make. However, you can also say if they had that much ball and didn't record the scores that they should have done, then that's worrying because they're obviously, as you say, not making, they're making ground um, incrementally and retaining the ball, but they're not making the clear cut breaks that fashion chances which get to put away for tries. Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, the possession that we had in that game, we, we, we dominated possession for, for most of that game. And as you say, France's tri- uh, tackle count was through the roof. I think uh, Guillaume, the hooker, made 24, 28 tackles on his own. Mm-hmm. And never mind what the rest of the team made. So that was a phenomenal performance by him. But you're right, you're 100% right. I mean, if we had that much ball uh, and we're just going through phases, I mean, imagine going 41 phases 
at the end to get the drop goal, which was a brilliant piece of rugby and an amazing thing. But it, it did take um, Johnny Sexton taking one of the most risky crossfield yes. kicks I've seen in years to, to actually find a way to try and break that defence down. And that was after 20-something phases. So there was no way through. So that is a question that, you know, Schmidt will have to try and answer and, and come up with a solution to that uh, if we have that much possession and if we're going through 20-odd phases, which is a lot of phases in rugby, and we still can't break down oppositions, well, what's wrong? Why not? Why, where, where are we lacking it? And I think it's, it's that sort of, um, you know, centre partnership area. Uh, Bundiaki is kind of a crash merchant. You know, they, they give him the ball and let him bosh it up. And, you know, we've seen all that before. We need some more elusive play we need some more evasive type of, of uh, backline play I think to try and get in behind defences and ask questions of them because defences just have us worked out with, with that other tactic Sounds um, sounds like you're a bit on edge Reggie for the Wales game I am I am Rob uh, I'll be honest with you I mean Wales are um, you know they're a little bit uh, wounded I suppose at the moment because people have kind of written them off a little bit before the championship but when you look at the type of the rugby that the Scarlets are playing albeit they lost to Bennett on the weekend but uh, when they have their, their starting team the type of rugby the Scarlets are playing is a worry I mean it, it's great rugby it's, it's, it's expansive they can they can move the ball quickly along that back line and that back line is able to find gaps in defences and against England we saw that too uh, they asked questions of England and you know they probably should have Anscombe probably should have scored that try in the corner he dived a little bit too early um, so they are a real threat and I am worried about the Welsh game and by no means is that one I mean at home we're, we're a tough side to beat in Dublin there's no question about it but by no means is that Welsh game a foregone conclusion and that is going to be one hell of a tough battle It will be Reggie um, great to speak to you as usual thank you very much mate No problem Brian thanks a lot Take Cheers care. guys Cheers guys So um, actually I think he's he's right to be slightly nervous because the way Ireland have played hasn't been totally convincing. I don't think you can read much into the Italy game at all. And if they do, if they don't get that right against Wales, Wales are the side with enough talent, you know, to, to take wins, aren't they? Yeah, and and the Ireland Wales games, whether in Cardiff or in Dublin, are normally pretty exciting games. Yeah. So I think this is brewing up to be. You know, Wales will be hurt from Twickenham, but they'll have taken a lot of confidence from it as well. Mm. I think. A lot of confidence out of Scotland, but unsure of where where they were. They've come to Twickenham and actually gone pretty well. So they won't fear going to Dublin. Um, and if Ireland, as Reggie says, we're not quite sure where they are. I mean, they will get better as they go through. But if their midfield isn't quite right, as we see with a lot of sides in the modern game, if you don't get that midfield right, yeah. it affects so many things in terms of how you use the ball and how you actually manipulate space and it, maybe it feels like that Ireland midfield is just a bit too similar mm. OK time now to turn to the women's Six Nations which is running in parallel with the men's let me just read you the scores over the weekend Ireland 21 Italy 8 England 52 Wales 0 Scotland 3 France 26 very pleased to say we can speak with the former World Cup winner and former England flanker, Maggie Alfonso. Hello, Maggie. Hello, Brian. Hello, Rob. Hi, Maggie. Uh, 52-0 at the stoop. Uh, very comprehensive. Anything to worry about? Anything to uh, suggest that England won't progress to the title from this? 
Or is that a bit, well, a bit too presumptuous? Nothing to worry about at all. <laughs> I think uh, you know that score in itself is is pretty impressive. Um, look, England are going from strength to strength. They're, they're, in their first round, they they beat Italy quite convincingly. Um, I think the only concern I had in that game was really England's performance in the first half, but because they got held seven all. Um, up until half time, and then they really brought it back with six tries in the second half. But against Wales, they show the dominant display. But for them, I think the, the the big focus for England is actually building up to France. So when mm-hmm. they play France in round four, playing France away, as you both know, is is never easy. And they're playing in Grenoble, so we've got a real you know real first for women's rugby, um, and so they're going to bring out a huge crowd. So for England, it's about building up their I guess building up their performance and, and accuracy and you know no penalties and that I mean cleaning up their their display of their performance up until round four. But um, I don't think, if I'm honest, the England team or Simon Middleton have anything to worry about right now. Their next game is against Scotland, mm-hmm. so for them they probably will rotate some players and bring some maybe possibly some other younger players through. But um, right now I think they're in a very good position. Um, give us one or two names who've stood out for you. Yeah, so the first one has to be uh, Poppy Clill. She's played number six. Um, she got player of the match in round one and then got player of the match again in round two. And it's not always that, you know, it's not that common for people to, to get it two times in a row. And she's she's just an exciting player. Plays at Saracens, uh, full of confidence. She's a, a big unit. Kind of, I'd say, in between a, a Courtney Laws and a Joe Launchbury, she's got that physical size, but can, is such a good handler of the ball, but also quite destructive when it comes to her ball carrying skills and her tackling. Um, and then another player, I'd say, is Ellie Kildun. Um, she played 15, she's a young player coming through. She mm-hmm. played 15. Uh, in the first game against Italy, and in the second game, Simon Middleton moved her to outside centre, and again was absolutely outstanding. I think one of the biggest things for the England setup at the moment is probably the same as the, as the men, really, bringing these young players through, but making sure that they can just um, unleash their potential on the international stage. Yeah. And I think you're starting to see it now in the men's and the women's game. Um, but with some of the young players that Simon Middleton's brought through, like Ellie Keldun. She's doing really well. Abigail Dowell is another one. So there's some really good young players who just look like they're so comfortable um, on the international stage. The thing about the uh, France game is going to be, I suppose, whether they can match the physical challenge because the French team, you know, is powerful. Yeah, spot on, Brian. It's just like, again, just like the men, not that dissimilar really in terms of their forwards are absolute units. Um, you know, I always, there's one player who she normally plays eight, but she's, she's kind of been moved to second row. Her name is Safa Ndaya, and she reminds me of Billy Villapola for her size, her shape, and her handling, uh, and her work rate around the park. And, and a lot of their forwards are just big, mobile forwards. So that's what England's got to contend with. I think England's strength is their our forwards. We've got some really good, again, mobile forwards. But when you come up against the French forwards, who also have that same... Uh, similar characteristics. I think England really will meet their match. Um, you know, the French have a very good driving mall. So when they're five metres out, they generally are certain to score. Um, so for England, it's, it's also they've got to deal with the fact of playing away, playing, you know, playing in, with the French crowd. The French generally pull out about you know, 11,000, 12,000 people to come watch their games support the, the women and the under-20s in particular as well. So there's a real interest for that standard of rugby and I think that's what's really positive. It's, it's drawing so much um, attention but I think England will, and the young players will have to get used to that, that pressure because there's going to be a lot of pressure and that potentially will be the decider for the Women's Six Nations. That's great. Maggie, thank you very much. No worries, Ryan. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye.
Well, the FCR big units, the French women's forwards, probably not as thick as the men's ones in terms of giving penalties away. <laughs> so they've got that over them. Um, Rob, next round, is it? Yes, it is quite a tricky fixture going to Murrayfield for all sorts of reasons. Um, but any reason why England should worry inordinately? I mean, they should have an edge to them, but uh... no, they shouldn't. They shouldn't worry. I mean, look, it's England away or England going away to Murrayfield, Cardiff, or Dublin, or Paris for that matter. Is if you're not right, mm. if you're not on your game, then you can always slip up. We've all done it. We've all seen it. Every England team has done that. Um, England shouldn't, you know, if 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 they if they're focused and they're disciplined. Back to the earlier point, then they should be able to keep Scotland out of the game for long enough and keep Murrayfield quiet. If if they're not, then we all see what happens. You get slightly on the back foot. But I think they'll I think they'll be too strong, and I think probably Ireland will be too strong for Wales, and that starts to lead towards yeah. the the end the end game at the end of the tournament as the sides now halfway through you know the, the batting order starts to work out doesn't it we had the first two rounds into third round and probably the two favorites at the start of this tournament are, are, are sort of leading the field well that's all we've got time for this week you've been listening to Brian Moore's full contact in association with the Telegraph and NatWest thank you to my co-host Rob Andrew and to my very happy producer, Abby Patterson, because he's Scottish. Next week, I'll be joined by Will Greenwood for a special live episode from Royston Rugby Club. We're going back right to the grassroots of rugby. Uh, all the tickets have gone, so the only place you'll be able to hear will be on the podcast next week. So please make sure you subscribe to it, as it's completely free, and that way you'll never miss an episode. But for now, goodbye. Brian Moore's Full Contact is just one part of the Telegraph Sport podcast family, as you can also subscribe and download Total Football. Join Tom Gibbs and a host of Telegraph football reporters as they aim to take you behind the football stories of the weekend. Your Monday morning commutes will be instantly better for it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 